Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. As a church, we've been journeying through the book of Genesis for a long time. When I say journey, I mean crawl, because we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And if you're like, bro, what are you going to pull out of this sermon? I don't know. We're going to see. But there's a lot here in these two chapters, verse 40 and 41. But what we've been doing is looking at this guy, Joseph. And more than just him, we're looking through him to see Jesus. We're learning that every person, every story is whispering and pointing to his name. And so today we're going to look at something that we've been sort of touching on the past few weeks, but we're going to narrow in on. And here's what we're going to unpack today. We're going to look at how God uses both suffering and blessing, both suffering and blessing. So to begin, I want to share a little story that I don't know if I've shared with you guys quite yet. It's pretty personal to our family, but I've never met my dad's dad. So my grandfather and my older cousin has, and my cousin got to name him as a child. He was going for granddad, but it came out Gaga. And so it ended up with Gaga before Lady Gaga was a thing. He was Gaga. And I never got a chance to meet him because when my dad was right out of college, my grandfather, Gaga, had a brain aneurysm. And so he ends up in the hospital and he was there for a few months. And when he was well enough to have conversations and speak with others, uh, a visitor came by my grandfather's room. I didn't know this individual, neither did my mom or my dad. And this individual comes and he sits down and he asks Gaga if he can have a conversation with him. And growing up, My grandfather never knew the gospel. He never understood that Jesus is God and lived, died, and rose in his place so we could have a place with him by faith. Never heard that. This man sits down and he begins to share the hope that we can have in Christ. And my grandfather, who has had a pretty challenging life from what my dad has shared with me, is hearing this story in the midst of his suffering and right there with a stranger he didn't know is hearing the gospel and begins to, begins to cry and understanding that this is what his heart has longed for is a relationship with this God. And right there at the hospital gives his life over to this God and Savior, Jesus. This man at the end of the conversation prays for my grandfather, leaves the room, and we never hear from this guy, see this guy ever again. In the middle of this suffering, God purposed this, our family believes, purposed this moment for my grandfather so that he could hear the gospel. And then just a few months later, he had another brain aneurysm that took his life. This first area of suffering, we didn't believe that God did that to my grandfather, but we believe that he allowed it for the purpose and used it so that this man, for whatever reason, felt like he could come and share this with my grandfather and he trusted and believed in Jesus. From that, my dad was pretty stirred in hope. My dad was a new believer himself and had been having conversations with his dad and was always nervous about sharing his own faith. 
So my dad has these last conversations with his dad. And so their relationship was a bit challenging, but finally they sort of became brothers in Christ in this time. And my dad from this was blessed through this area of suffering. My dad began to share his faith more, seeing the transforming power that God can have in a person's life. And so it's in this story of pain for my grandfather and our family's story that God both used suffering and blessing, suffering of the brain aneurysm, but the blessing of what happens when someone comes to faith in Christ. And then through that, my dad was blessing others more with the message of Jesus. Guys, that's what I want us to see today is that no matter what suffering you're in, no matter what you've circumstantially faced this week, this month, this year, you're not alone in your suffering. And I'm not saying that God caused it, but God can cause a better, greater purpose in it. So today we look at the life of Joseph and we see great suffering. God use it for great blessing. So let me give you the backstory on Joseph. If you're new, uh, Joseph has got 11 brothers who hate him. Okay, Joseph is the family favorite. Dad Jacob gave him this really cool, like, I guess it would be like a 90s Bulls starter jacket was the, or the member jacket, depending on how old you are. Like, that was like the cool jacket back then. And so Joseph gets this coat of many colors. He's a favorite child. His brothers hate him for it. So his brothers make up this plan and they say, hey, let's, let's take Joseph and let's, let's kill him. Brother Judah raises his hands like, wait, let's not kill him. Let's sell him for profit. And so indeed they throw him in a pit. Some caravan comes by and they say, hey, let's, let's sell him too. They get some money. They go back home and say, hey, dad. They make up a lie and say, hey, Joseph is dead. Joseph then is sold into slavery. He ends up in the palace of the home serving well. And then a lie comes against him with Potiphar's wife. She makes up an accusation and a claim that's not True, he ends up in prison, in suffering. And that's where we pick up today. If you're with me, let's go ahead and look at verse 20 of last week. And here's what it says. It says, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison. And the place where the king's prisoners, though, were confined there. And he was there in prison. But the Lord, this is always true, what we see, the Lord was with Joseph and God showed him steadfast love. Guys, here's the first thing we're going to see today. In our suffering, in our suffering, God positions us towards others in need. Verse one starts like this of this week. So sometime after this moment where he's thrown into prison, sometime after this, there's a cupbearer that shows up, verse one, of the king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh's baker shows up and they both committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with these two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended to them. He was caring for them and their needs. And they continued for some time in custody. Guys, notice a couple things in this passage, just in a couple of first verses here. Notice that Joseph himself is in a awful situation. He was in slavery. Things started working out somewhat well for him. A lie came about him about what he didn't do. He ends up in prison. And I would just want to just like wipe my hands and just be done with people 
I'd be over everything. I don't want to talk to anyone. I would just be angry at the world. But in this moment, God uses his suffering and positions him next to other people who are suffering. And what do we learn that Joseph does? He begins to attend to them. He begins to care for them. Yes, he's overseeing them, but he begins to press into them. And what we learn here is that in our suffering, God is using it to position us towards others who need hope as well. Church, do you realize this may be hard for us, but we often ask the question, God, why am I suffering? But I want you to ask a different question. Is God, how can you use it? Maybe we won't know all the specifics of why am I suffering, but I want you to ask God, how can you use this suffering? And what we'll learn, church, is that your place of suffering may be the very platform of service to another. And it's through that there is goodness that happens in you. There's a blessing that happens to others. And that's what we see happen here. Guys, it's with this story in mind. I was reading a few articles about missionaries throughout the world, sharing gospel in the really hard and unreached areas. And I I came across an article about a Czech Christian named Peter Jacek. And he did this mission work in Sudan in 2015. He travels there and they recognize that he's sharing the gospel. He's sharing the Bible. He's loving people. He's not like shoving it down people's throat, but he's introducing them to Christ. And so he is arrested and he's thrown into prison in Sudan, one of the most least reached and hostile places for the gospel. We love the Sudanese people. The government works in such a way that it hates Christians and Christianity. So Peter Jason gets thrown into prison and he's thrown into prison with terrorists and extremists who hate Christians. He's there in prison with them and they begin to mock him and laugh at him and joke on him. It increases to slapping and pushing and shoving. Then it ends with an all-out beating in the jail cell that he's in. He gets moved from that jail cell to another jail cell with murderers and rapists. And he's sitting there and he's being mistreated and harmed and death is not too far from him. The other prisoners are in jail with him and they ask the guards, hey, can we just waterboard him? and help him renounce his faith. These are the prisoners' ideas. They say, yeah, let's absolutely, let's do it. So the prisoners come together and they ask for a different cell where they can enter in and harm this man. This man begins to pray for those who are harming him. He's praying for his prisoners. He's praying for the extremists. He's praying for the guards. And through this two-year period, he finally gets released in 2017, but beating after beating, he's praying, he's sharing, he's loving, he's encouraging with the gospel. And through this time, 40 prisoners, 40 prisoners come to faith in Christ in Sudan. Do you think that was by mistake? Was maybe the trip he took in 2015, was that goal Or is that how God used it for his glory and others' good? Enemies turned into brothers in that prison. We see that his suffering, God used it to position himself towards others who were in need. And that's exactly what's happening in Joseph. Let, Let me ask you, guys, what suffering have you been through recently? And we talked about in previous weeks that, yes, God uses suffering in such a way to draw us closer to him. And we said, guys, that suffering, sometimes you just can't know things about Jesus. You can't know certain depths about him. 
until you go through the darkest of places. We also learn that in suffering, God can do something in your heart to grow your character or grow your comfort with God that maybe wouldn't have happened without suffering. But this week we're saying, maybe God wants to use that suffering to serve others. So guys, think about what suffering you've been through, what hardships you've been through. And would you consider that maybe God is positioning you there so that you could position yourself towards others that don't yet know him so that God can take your suffering and turn it into somehow a blessing for you and others. Number two, we see this. In our suffering, God creates compassion towards others in need. Compassion, the suffering you and I face, church, can create compassion in you for others that experience the same types of things. And guys, you know this, if you've lost someone to cancer, if you've yourself had a loss of a child, you've lost a job, you've strained marriage, like you've had hardships in your life and you meet someone who's had a similar one, your heart's like, oh, I know what that feels like, right? Have you guys met someone that's gone through something similar than you and you're like, oh, I just understand what you're going through in some way and oh, my heart goes out to you. I, I, I feel that hurt. That's what we see happen here in this text. Our suffering creates compassion. Look at it here in verse five. It says, one night when Joseph and these guys are in jail, one night, both the cupbearer and the baker, they have a dream. They're confined in prison, but both guys have a dream of their own and each dream with its own interpretation. But when Joseph came to them in the morning, verse six, he saw that they were what? He saw that they were troubled. His eyes and their attention were on their hurt. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, these two guys who were in custody in the master's house, he said, hey guys, let me, let me pause for a second. Like, why are you downcast? Why are you sad? What's, what's going on? I wanna, I wanna care for you. They said to him, we've had these dreams and they're, they're troublesome to me. And no one's here to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, don't, don't interpretations belong to God? Hey, I, I know God and I know him. So let me, let me serve you. Tell your dreams to me and I, I pray that God will help me interpret them. Guys, do you see what's happening here? Joseph is attending care to them. He takes notice of their hurt and suffering. He notices that they're downcast. And he takes the time to ask them, why are you downcast? And then he asks, hey, would you tell me this? Would you tell me your area of pain so I could care for you? Guys, do you notice that in Joseph, Joseph has been in prison. Joseph has been abused and hurt by his brothers. They sold him into slavery after they beat him up and they threw him in a pit, abandoned him, rejected him. He heard them plotting murder and the best outcome was that they sold him into slavery and not killed him. He heard these conversations. It's in this suffering, he looks over and he says, hey, I can see you're suffering too. And that experience that he had with his brothers creates compassion for these two men. And what happens in this moment is something beautiful and something that only gets produced in the soil of hardship. As it reminds me of some of my two really good friends, and you guys might've met them. Have you met Jeff and Abby Johnson from Coa Brookline? Raise your hand if you guys know them. Jeff serves as a lay pastor at Coa Brookline. And Jeff himself would tell the story of his own personal adoption when he was young and his sibling and how that was a, a challenging story and path for him. It was hard and it was challenging for him as he's growing up and he's learning his story and his parents are trying to navigate things and he's, he's grappling with some 
things of his past. And all of these years of suffering and, and hardship with his story and his own adoption created a compassion in him for foster care and adoption. And while my wife and I were over at Brookline, like some of you were when you helped us start this church, we spent time with them as we were navigating our beloved little daughter's foster care and adoption story. And we begin to hear from him, pull pieces from his past about how God had met him in those places of hurt and pain. And he's recounting story after story as he learned about his upbringing and what had happened and the challenges there. And it created compassion through, he says, I, I want to, I want to foster and adopt. I want to step into the same pain that I was in to help another bring them peace. So Jeff and Abby began to start their foster care and adoption journey. And with their other daughter that they had, their family worked together to adopt another child. And Jeff has a unique way with his wife, Abby, to love and nurture and care with compassion this girl. And Jeff would share with you some of the story from his past and her past. They line up in some ways that he's able to minister out of that hurt. And I want to share again, do you see how in our suffering, God creates compassion towards others in need? So again, if you're asking God, why is this happening? And why is this suffering? I, I want to share maybe not why, an answer to why, but it's how he wants to use it. How he wants to use it. In the past, again, the past couple of weeks, we talked about how it's, going to be used for you for good. And now this week is all about how it's being used for others for good. So that's what we see in our suffering. God can create compassion towards others. Number three, we see this. In our suffering, God moves to serve others in need. In our suffering, God moves us to serve others in need. Guys, you realize in verse eight there, it says this, the Men in jail have said that, hey, we have dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. There's a need on the table. There's a challenge that they're facing. And guys, there's, there's people all around us that are, find themselves in a similar place. They might not have a dream that they don't know how to interpret, but there might need some other interpreting about the circumstances in their life. Because all around us, people are often struggling to interpret what has happened to them the purposes and reasons, the circumstances, we're all searching and they're all searching for meaning and purpose in the struggle. Everyone's looking for answers of why did the circumstance happen? Why does this keep happening to me? Why would God allow, if he's real, why would he allow something like this to happen? And church, listen, God will often position his people to care for those who are trying to interpret and make sense of their life. And so in this moment, our job is to be like Joseph, to lovingly lead others to the truth of God, to help them make sense of their lives, sharing love and truth and grace and prayer. In fact, James 1.5 says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without a reproach, and it will be given. Church, God wants to, in our suffering, make it work in such a way that we're serving others out of that, out of that same place. As we've shared this story often, I'm reminded by one of my good friends named Tom. And Tom was my apartment manager for several years until unfortunately Tom had a stroke and ended up going to the hospital at St. E's. And while he was there, he found out that he had cancer. He had a 
move out of the apartment complex we lived in and our church built a schedule to go and visit him and pray with him. And just recently went to his house to celebrate his brother. And he often watches our service and prays for us and reaches out. And so Tom, if you're watching, we love you, bud. And in this area of suffering and hardship and his life is just turned upside down. His brother, who he now lives with, also found out he has cancer right around the same time that Tom found out he had cancer. And it's in this area of suffering that God is using Tom to care for his brother, Ronnie. And Tom, during this time where he was at St. Elizabeth's, our church was caring for him and praying for him and visiting him and sharing meals together and hanging out. And Tom was asking questions about Jesus and God's grace. And in that time, Tom placed his faith in Christ at the hospital. He ends up moving to another place where Bobby ended up actually doing rehab uh, alongside of a team to help care for Tom. God was surrounding Tom in his suffering with care. And Tom said, yeah, I wanna do the same thing. How do I care for my brother? I'm in my suffering. I understand the pains of cancer. And my brother's having this, I wanna serve Ronnie. And so now he's praying for Ronnie and sharing the Bible with Ronnie and talking about Christ with Ronnie. And when we go and visit him, he's like, hey, Ronnie, come over here. Let me introduce you to some of my church friends. And we get to pray for Ronnie and minister to Ronnie. And we see that in this suffering, God moves us to serve others in need. And for a moment, let's, let's not forget that this story is really not about Joseph, right? The story is really about pointing us to Jesus. It's in his suffering that we are blessed. It's in his suffering that he has compassion and he knows our suffering. It's in his suffering that we are blessed. And in his suffering, he served us on the cross, died in our place so that we could have a place with him. This story is really pointing us forward to Jesus, where Jesus is in the pit of the cross in his own abuse with people that were supposed to love him. His close worse left him and abandoned him. And it's in Christ's suffering that he serves us so we can be filled with his love and then turn around and serve others. Do you see how the story of Joseph is really pointing us to Christ? Joseph's not the hero here. He's pointing us to the real hero. He's pointing us to Christ. Now, let me take a moment and um, pause on the concept of dreams for a second, okay? We'll kind of take a quick minute and we've got to ask ourselves, what do we do with these dreams here, Aaron? Because you haven't brought this up through Genesis, but we got lots of people having some dreams here, okay? We've seen Abraham have dreams from God, Abimelech, Jacob, and Joseph. That's four people in this introductory book of the Bible have dreams. Then we see the cupbearer and the baker and the Pharaoh have dreams. Then if you read more in the Old Testament, Samuel and Solomon and Daniel have dreams. Then Zacharias and Joseph, Pilate's wife, Ananias, Cornelius, Peter, Paul, and John all have dreams. And so you're like, bro, I need someone to interpret my dreams because I'll be doing some crazy stuff in them dreams. And you might be thinking, okay, hey, Aaron, does, does God speak through dreams still now? And if so, don't I need them to be interpreted? And so that's the question is, does God still speak through visions and dreams today? And so here's what I would say personally. Here's what I would say. I would say God can speak in whatever way he wants to. 
God has used a donkey to speak. And quite frankly, if God can use me to bring his word, he can do anything he wants to do. But we would say, yes, God can speak through dreams, but yet not as commonly. Because here's why, let me share you. When dreams were really common in the Old Testament scriptures, we see this. Dreams were somewhat necessary at that time because God's written word was not yet complete. And so they were unaware of what God's will, ways, and words were. And so God had to give a special revelation to them. So he gave them dreams and visions because God's word wasn't in place where they could open it and know, oh, this is God's will. Second thing, we also see that dreams were often common of how God would lead his people. And so God would lead them to this city or this country or to do this with their life. So God would use a dream to lead his people where we see that God can still do that today, but God uses his word, his Holy Spirit that now lives in us, which was different than the Old Testament. And God uses his word and his will and his people to help lead us. So therefore dreams at this time was actually a means for God to communicate his words and his will. And so we see that dreams are not as common nowadays because here's what we have in play for us sitting in this room. We have God's book, we have God's people, and we have God's gospel. And here's what I believe. If you read the book of Acts, you see lots of miraculous signs, don't you? You see miracles and visions and and healings. And I believe those are still true today. Still true today. But they are most prevalent in places where what? Where God's book, God's people, and God's gospel are not as prevalent. Does that make sense? Where we see those miraculous giftings and visions and dreams is because God's book, God's people, and God's gospel are not as prevalent. Can God still speak through dreams today? Yes, he can. Absolutely, he can. But where should we look to understand God's will and the word in the scripture? In fact, that's what the Bible even says in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says this. It says, do not despise prophets. Don't despise visions, dreams. Don't despise them, the Bible says. It says, but you got to test it. You got to test it. Well, what do you test it? According to what? According to God's what? Word. According to God's word. Now listen, if, if I have a dream tonight that let's say Matt Daniels and I have sushi and Matt knows I can put down some sushi and my belly's kind of rumbling and I got one that's a little more raw than it should have been. And I have a dream that I should run over Matt with my car the next day. And I call up Jordan and say, hey, Jordan, I feel like the Lord is telling me to run over Matt. Most days Jordan would say, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it, Aaron, don't do it. But how would I know if that was from the Lord or not? Jordan would say, Aaron, come on. A, you're crazy. And B, God's word values human life. And it values because we're made in God's image. And Aaron, the Bible tells us not to murder, not to harm. Aaron, your dream was not of God. Don't go to the sushi place anymore. Right? So every dream and every prophecy, if you feel like God has spoken to you, got to test it with the scriptures. If it doesn't align with God's word, it's not God's will. You guys with me? It's not in God's word. It's not in God's will. Now, let me tell you a freak story and then we'll just act like it didn't happen, okay? One time in my life, one time in my life did I feel like I had a dream from the Lord. All my conservative, like, reformed people just, like, put on double seatbelts, like, bro, what is about to happen? Like, but hear me out. One time in my life, 
Our family was praying through a decision. This was when I was not yet married to Emily, but my mom and my dad and my sister were all praying about a decision of someone's marriage that we're very, 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 very close with. And we had spent time with her and this gentleman, and we certainly didn't feel like something was quite right. And everyone's free again to make their own decisions. And I'm not telling someone who can get married or not get married, but there was something kind of like off about his person. And he always wasn't telling the truth and he was shading things. And it just kind of felt like an off kind of vibe. And we didn't really understand what it was. And we'd talk about the faith and he kind of skirt around it. But then he'd be like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And we kind of talk about his life. And we always like, things were just always hidden. His money, his past, and everything just kind of fell off. And so I was praying for this couple that I very much loved and very much spent a lot of time with. Literally, I had a dream every night in that same week. And it was the same recurring dream about how that marriage would end off. Like five to six nights in a row, back to back to back. I'm like, hey, I don't, I don't know exactly what to do with this dream, but it seems like God is trying to communicate something to me. I go to this beloved friend and I don't share all the details of my dream, but I look at scripture and I'm saying, hey, it doesn't seem like this is the individual you should, you should marry. Be- because of how this individual is treating you and speaking to you and navigating his, his life, it, it seems that he's using Christianity to just get you. And I think it's going to bring you harm. And I begin to share about how I think God's speaking to me through his word and been thinking about it a lot. Other persons in this person's life begin to kind of speak to them as well. And they sort of reject the counsel of scripture and reject this dream. And everything that happened in that dream was that person's life eight years later. They're no longer together. It's an absolute train wreck of relationship. There's restraining orders and tons of lawsuits and just absolute disaster. Everything we thought that wasn't right was in place. And to navigate that with love and grace and truth. So again, I'm not saying that you should pray for visions and dreams. I was really close with this individual. And can God do that? I think he can. But at the end of the day, my dream has no authority. My dream has no authority. It's God's word that does. Does that make sense? Okay, if you're reformed, you can unclick the seatbelt. Getting back to normally scheduled sermon. Are we all okay? We all okay? Okay. Brandon, we okay? I'm playing, Brandon. I'm playing. <laughs> I love this church. Let me come back and pastor next week. Okay, guys? Okay. So let's summarize then the dreams that are in this passage. Okay, what's actually happening here in these dreams at this time? Okay. The cupbearer, he has this first dream and he sees a vine. I'm summarizing for you. He sees a vine and then on the vine are three branches. And then from the branches shoot forth these clusters of ripened grapes. So in the dream, he takes the grapes and he presses the juice into Pharaoh's cup. And then he gives the cup to Pharaoh. Joseph takes the dream. He prays about it and God responds. And he says, hey, listen, that, those three branches, that represents three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from this jail and he'll restore you to your job as an official cupbearer. And when that happens, Joseph says, don't forget about me. Remember, I'm here. Can you help me get out of jail? So then the baker's like, whoa, hold on a second. You see in verse 16, he's like, oh, that interpretation's favorable? Okay, I'm willing now to share my dream. So then the baker steps up. He's like, hey, Joseph, listen, I had a dream. The three baskets 
were stacked up on my head one after another. But the basket on the very top (coughs) had baked foods for Pharaoh. But birds were eating off of that top basket. What do I make of this? Joseph takes the dream. He prays. God responds. The three baskets, Joseph says, represents three days. In three days, Pharaoh will also lift up off your head from your shoulders. And you're like, what? Completely different interpretation here. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head as well, but from you. And then he's going to hang you on a tree. And then birds are going to eat your flesh. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Like, that's the dream. Then the chapter ends with both of the dreams actually coming true, as Joseph had said. The baker was hanged. The cupbearer was restored to his office. And then this is what's so sad and sobering in verse 23. The chapter ends this way. Yet the cheap cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him and forgets him for two whole years. Let's pause there for a quick moment. I think some of the greatest areas of hurt that happen in church world is when you give your life for something and you serve so hard with everything you have and then people forget about you and they don't care for you and they just use you. Church, I know that as your pastor, I have not done this perfectly or well. In some capacity, I'm one end, I'm asking for forgiveness and saying, hey, there are times where I feel like I may, hey, can you serve at this thing? Can you help with this thing? And and then I forget about care, how you're doing, how, how's your life? And so through this, my heart seeks to repent and say, I can't just use people and forget about care. And church, you might feel similar in your own spheres. Maybe it's your marriage and how you serve them and you don't feel like you're cared back or maybe it isn't a church context or it's in a work context. You're pouring out your energy and your time and your boss doesn't notice or care about you. And this can be a real big area of hurt for Joseph. He's in jail. He's caring for this cupbearer. He's loving them. He's attending to them. He asked them, why is your face cast down? Let me care for you. Hey, you've got this dream. I can pray for it and God will answer. Just remember me when you leave. Cupbearer leaves, forgets about Joseph. And then that chapter starts with after two whole years. Guys, if you have been hurt, If you've been hurt in an area of suffering, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to call quits. In this suffering, Joseph has been tremendously hurt, but he looks to his past and he knows that if God can use the pit and the prison, then he can use rejection and someone forgetting about him. So Joseph doesn't quit loving the Lord, trusting the Lord. I don't want you either. No matter what pain you're in, continue to trust him. So chapter 41 then begins with Pharaoh having his two dreams. Pharaoh says that he's standing by the Nile River in Egypt and behold, seven big plump cows come out of the river and they feed on some reed grass nearby. But then the dream, another seven cows, this time they're thin and ugly, come out of the river and they eat the first set of seven cows. Then Pharaoh wakes up. He's like, bro, don't go eat sushi with Aaron anymore, is what he says. Freaks out for a second, calms down, gets a glass of water or something, goes back to sleep. Then the second dream happens. Pharaoh then sees seven ears of grain and good, and they're growing on a stalk. Then after them sprouts seven more ears of grain. 
But this time they're thin and they're diseased by the moisture from the east wind. And then the dream ends with the seven thin ears swallowing up the seven plump ears. Then Pharaoh wakes up. Pharaoh calls out for help, like we often do when circumstances are challenging, when we can't make sense of life. He calls out, he Googles, he reaches out to anyone. And verse eight says, in the morning, Pharaoh was troubled, verse eight, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Then Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Let's pause for a second here. Far often we look in the wrong places for the right answers. Far too often we're looking in the wrong places for the right answers. And that's what Pharaoh does. He calls kind of everyone that's a magician and the wise man and anyone, and he looks everywhere but up. God, what are you saying to me? What's happening? How do I understand my life? He doesn't press into godly counsel, he presses into some ungodly counsel. And again, we're reminded what James 1, 5 says, church, listen, if you are in a similar place, you can't interpret life circumstances, the situations you're in. You're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Like when I graduate, where, where do I go when this job changes? Like, how, how do I live next? Like, what am I supposed to do here? And I, things are not panning out the way I thought. What do I do? James 1, 5. If any of you church lacks wisdom, which all of us, including myself does, any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask God. Ask God about it. Pray, discern, seek the word, ask your community group, DNA group, call your staff, reach out to CG leaders. Ask God and his people, his word, who gives generously to all without reproach. And what? It will be given to him. Well, unfortunately, Pharaoh doesn't do that. But fortunately, though, when Pharaoh's like, I need someone to interpret this dream, the cupbearer who's in the room standing there with the cup to make sure no one poisons the cup for the Pharaoh, he remembers, wait, I know a guy that can interpret dreams. He remembers Joseph in prison. He tells Pharaoh about this guy that can interpret dreams. His name is Joseph. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph in verse 14, and the guards let Joseph take a shower shave and get new clothes because he hasn't done that in two years. Then I love this exchange that happens between Joseph and Pharaoh in verse 15. Look at it. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you can hear a dream and interpret it. And I love what Joseph says here. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not me. It's not me but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I love that. Jacob is beginning to realize that his suffering is a means to serve others the truth of who God is. So what are we seeing here? In our blessing, when we're blessed, we saw suffering, but now blessing. In our blessing, God is to be glorified. Guys, I'm not gonna lie to you. In this moment, if I was in this moment, in my flesh, I would have done anything and everything to show how great I was so that I wouldn't be put back in prison anymore. I'm like, you think I can do visions and dreams. I can clean up a pretty good prison and I can help, you know, manage the, the crops. So I can, I can do just about everything and I can, I can help you with this. I can help you with that. And, you know, I've got a coat of many colors and I've got the brothers, I've got siblings. And I would just start making up things as much as I can, putting attention on myself so I can get out. And he tells Pharaoh, which by the way, Pharaohs during that day, they thought themselves to be gods. And so he's like, hey, 
by the way, it's, it's not, I can't interpret the dream. I'd be afraid to say that because like, why are you here then? Go back to jail. I'd be terrified. But you say, I, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. Pharaoh, you're not God. <sighs> Joseph is resolved knowing that wherever he is, he's gonna glorify God. If he's in the prison, if he's in the palace, if he's somewhere in between, I'm gonna glorify God. Guys, I want us to view our life like this. That if you have been blessed, it's because God has blessed you. He, last, like, last week, he gave you the intellect, the drive, the heart, the knowledge. Maybe you're in Boston because you're smart and you're hardworking and a company called you to be here. And you're in leadership or management. God gave you that drive. He gave you the intellect. He wired you a certain way. And we can't point to ourself in blessing. We've got to point to him. In our blessing, God is to be glorified, not self. Joseph is not boastful or arrogant. Remember when he was 17 and he got dreams for the first time? He's like, hey, brothers, remember, you're going to bow down to me one day. And he's always telling his brothers, he never talks about God at all. He never talks about God at all when he's 17. He's boasting in himself, serving himself, telling his brothers about the dreams that God gave him and how great he is. But now it's 11 years later. He's 28. Joseph is serving and pointing to God. Church, let us do the same thing with everything you have, all of your blessings, all of your resources, all of your intellect. You've got point to him and his goodness. Lead others not to yourself and how smart you are. Lead them to Christ. That's what our heart should be. He's boldly sharing with Pharaoh who the one and true God and what he can do. Guys, I want you to use your blessing and your suffering in the same way. Use it all to point to God. Guys, all suffering is purposeful in God's hands. And so the question is, will you trust him with it? Both your suffering and your blessing, will you trust him with it? So here's how Pharaoh ends, because this could get dicey here. Because Pharaoh can just be like, hey, you don't tell me I'm not God. You don't tell me you can't do this. Go back to jail. But here's what happens. Pharaoh ends up telling Joseph his two dreams. And God empowers Joseph to interpret the dreams. So here's the interpretation, verse 29. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after that time, then will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by the reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of your dreams, Pharaoh, you had them back to back. This means that this thing is fixed by God. And God will surely bring this about. Guys, by the way, this is not a favorable thing for Joseph to share. This is not favorable. He knows that this will be hard and offensive. Guys, can we step back and just look at the Christian life for a second? Sometimes as we share who Jesus is, it's going to be hard. It's going to be costly in our relationships. And guys, I don't want anything to be offensive of what you share other than the gospel. And guys, let's be honest, the gospel is offensive. We're, we're, we're saying that all of us are in need of a savior. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're needing someone to pay our penalty on the cross so that we won't receive the penalty of God's wrath. That's offensive. That's a hard message. But Joseph says, because I want to serve you, Pharaoh, I want to tell you about this God. I want to tell you what he's done. I want to tell you what he has in his word. If you're a Christian in this room, the cost is worth it. Joseph has already lost everything. And so what he's really gained when he lost everything was Christ. When he lost absolutely everything, he realized that everything he needed was just God. 
And so with boldness, he steps forward and says, let me tell you this unfavorable vision. Christian, let's do the same thing God. God or our friends or what people think about us, if someone will reject us or not like us, or we'll be the weird Christian now. Let us serve and love our neighbors by sharing the truth of who Jesus is. Last thing, number five. Actually, a psych. One and a half more things. In our blessing, in our blessing, God wants us to bless others. In our blessing, God wants us to bless others. So then God empowers Joseph with a plan then after this vision to preserve Egypt and all the surrounding lands from this famine, gives him a plan. Again, Joseph's serving and suffering. And Pharaoh loves the plan that Joseph brings because he's like, hey, you need to take 20% of the crop every year in every city and every place and you need to store it up. And he's like, that's brilliant. And Joseph's like, you need someone to manage that. He doesn't put himself forward in pride. He's like, you do need someone to manage that. You need someone to have good leadership skills and good management tools to be able to navigate that. He didn't put his name forward. He just says, this is what you need to have. And so Pharaoh responds. He's like, can we find a man like this? Tells the crowd, whom the spirit of God is. Notice what the whole point of this is. God's using these visions to do something in Pharaoh's heart to point Pharaoh to him. Joseph knows it's not really about the famine. It's not really about the food. It's about God and Pharaoh. Since God has shown you this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. Verse 40, Joseph, now you should serve over my house and all the people shall order themselves as you command them. Only as regards to the throne, I'll be greater than you. So you're second over all of Egypt and land. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have now set you over all of the land of Egypt. From the pit to the prison to the palace, all of this suffering was working in a way to set up Joseph in order to preserve life, his family, and the line that would lead us to Jesus. All of this suffering had a purpose, this final aha moment. That's why, God, all of this has happened. And guys, God might not give you the aha moment, but would you trust him if he doesn't give it to you? Is he still good enough if you don't know why you suffer like you have? Would you still trust him knowing that the ultimate suffering at the cross was where your ultimate need really was? It's not an answer, it's a person. What you really need is not an answer to your suffering, you need a person. A person who suffered like you, he suffered in your place for you, and will one day bring you to heaven when you trust in Jesus and he'll remove all suffering. That's what you need. You don't need an answer. You, you need a person. And so in Joseph's blessing, he begins to bless others and he's serving, he's serving Egypt. Verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and he sold to the Egyptians and he arranged the selling of goods here for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all of the earth, all of the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the, the, the famine was severe over all the land. Guys, he is blessing others with what he's been blessed with. Yes, he's still a slave, by the way. He's still not in his home country. He's trying to make what's best and say, God, why do you have me here? I hate my job. I hate my life. I hate what's going on, but God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let that Thwart your plan for me. What do you have for me in this, God? I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. What do you want from me? I'll do it. Willingly, joyfully serving. And so he takes his position and he starts blessing others and blesses all of the land of Egypt. He's working hard. 
Guys, he never would have guessed. He never would have guessed this when he was sitting in the pit when his brothers threw him in there and plotting his murder. He's like, what's gonna happen next? He had no clue that God was arranging all of this so that Joseph would be blessed to be a blessing. Church, let me ask you, with what you've been given, your time, your talents, your treasures, your skills, are you using those blessings to be a blessing to others? Think about your money. How much of it do you use to over frivolously spend or freakishly save because it's your security? Or is what's been given to you a blessing to now give to others? Think about your time. This is what our family struggles with often. How do I use my time in a way that's not just selfish when I'm tired or weary? Yes, I need good rhythms of rest and Sabbath. Yes, those are good and godly. But also when I'm resting, am I just watching Netflix or am I having a good conversation with my wife or playing with my kids or we're going out for a walk? Guys, whatever you've been blessed with, are you using it as a blessing to others? Guys, God has redefined suffering. He's redefined it and he wants to use it for our good. What hurts us can often shape us and form us more to Christ and we have more joy in it through the suffering. Guys, some of you have might have gone through the toughest and hardest of things and I want you to hold on. Guys, you might not have answers or understanding about what happened or why it happened, but you have a person who can hold you and care for you in it and then purpose it. it doesn't become your identity. It becomes something that you begin to serve others and you testify out of. Last thing, in our blessing, in our blessings, last thing, God points us to his grace and foreshadows the glory of heaven. In our blessings, every blessing that you have points us to his grace and foreshadows the glory of heaven. I kind of love how this passage ends here. You see some restoration in his life. Verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, two sons. He marries this woman and he has these children. The firstborn in verse 51, the firstborn's name is Manasseh. And here's why, here's the meaning of the name. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And then the second come, he calls, the second son comes and he calls him Ephraim. And here's the reason why he calls him Ephraim because for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. All of this is grace. He gives this, these children who are, brings joy to him and brings family where he didn't have family before because his family abandoned him. He gives him a new family where God wipes away his tears. He forgets the affliction. Hmm, what's this pointing to? It's pointing, it's a foretaste, it's a foreshadowing of heaven. Through this passage, we see that all blessings are pointing us to something about God and something about heaven. The joy that a possession might have points us to the one who gives all good gifts. It's God himself. This passage is pointing us to the hope we have, Christian, if you're in Christ, that you have a new family in God as our father and your brothers and sisters are your family in Christ and in heaven. Every tear is wiped away. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. All of this passage is pointing to Christ and the glories of heaven. 
God's restoring things in Joseph's life in church. If you're hurting, if you're suffering, God's gonna restore it. You're not gonna be left in your depression, your anxiety, your wounds from the past. You won't be left there. You will not be left there. God will restore things through the course of your life. And if not, for whatever reason, in heaven will be a full restoration for you. This whole passage points us to Christ and glory. Guys, in fact, it points to Christ so much that this passage really centers in on Pharaoh as king. But church, we know that there is a better king than Pharaoh. Church, there's another king who pulls us out of the pit of prison. There's another king who rises us up and seats us up with him in the heavenly places and palaces. There's a king that appoints us into his fellowship. It's not through our work or if we can interpret something, it's all through his work of the cross. There is a king who is all seeing and all knowing and all wise and who needs no interpreter. There's a king who's actually dreamed of through the passages of scripture and not just one who has dreams. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the blessed and sovereign one. He is Jesus Christ, our God and King. All of Pharaoh, all of Joseph points us through the Old Testament into the New Testament, into Christ, who is really the savior of all the lands. And as we come to his storehouse of grace, we don't just get grain, we get forgiveness and love and family in the famine of sin, emptiness and desperation. Joseph and Pharaoh points us to the cross. Here's what we see in Ephesians 4, which parallels this passage so well. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace, church, that you're saved and you're raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You're saved by the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This passage parallels Joseph's life. Everything that we've been through is God crafting us and molding us into his image. And church, as we close down this sermon, this passage, I want you to see that the storehouses are open. In the famine of your sin, in your emptiness, in your desperation, the storehouse is open and it's not Joseph there awaiting you. It's Christ offering hope and salvation to anyone in any land to come and place their faith and their life in him. If you've not done that today, would you simply turn and trust in Christ's life, death, and resurrection in your place so you could have a place with him? Let's pray.